So You Think You Want to Work in TV is brought to you by you. That's right. You guys support this podcast, and I rely on your donations to keep this train a-going. So please, go to so you think you want to work in TV.com, click on that upper left-hand corner where it says Donate, and make a one-time donation, or visit our Patreon and become a monthly subscriber where well, you will absolutely get exclusive content. So uh, become a supporter, won't you? You know you want to. Hey guys, I've got a comedy writer in the house. Chuck Sklar is on the show today. Um, he has written for the Oscars. He is a good friend of Chris Rock's. He kind of discovered W. Kamau Bell. Um, really interesting guy and got his first writing job working on Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. Well, no, that wasn't his first job, but it was like his first like job where he was like, oh yeah, I'm, this is, this is my career. This is what's happening. Um, we recorded at a really loud Starbucks, my favorite loud Starbucks in Los Feliz. If you guys are ever in LA, you have to go to, there's a, it's called Starbucks Reserve. It's like a super fancy Starbucks. And I ordered one of those super fancy coffees or one of their uh, beans that's supposed to be like high end. And I thought, oh, okay, let's just see if this is worth a shit. It totally was. It was delicious. Um, but there's one in Los Feliz on Hillhurst that's always popping. You never know who you're going to see there. But I know who you're not going to see there, famous people. But uh, otherwise, but you will see uh, people who live in Los Feliz there because that's where it is. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling. Hey, if you guys like the podcast, go to the Patreon support. It's patreon.com slash want to work in TV. See how easy that is? All right, cool. Let's get to it with Chuck Sklar. I was born ready. You were. Um, hi, Chuck. Hello there. How are you? Very good. Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you said yes. Of course. Um, you're the only person that ever hired me for a job, and then it didn't happen. But you're the, <laughs> you would have you would have been my ticket to a WGA membership. God damn it. I know. I'm sorry about that. It's not your fault. It didn't work out. The show, the network uh, went, wait a minute, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my friend Randy is uh, cousins with the person who... Made that call, I think. Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah. I called him. And hmm. I was like, what happened? Like, what happened? Like, why did you, like, what happened? And then he blamed someone else. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so for, for those of you just tuning in. <laughs> I we just was, got right into it, I was, uh, I was, I'm a, I'm a writer, producer, <laughs> comedian, and my name is Chuck. And I was doing a show... Uh, I did a pilot for A&E with 50 Cent called 50 Central, and it was going to be as a sketch comedy show per, from the, per, the executive producer, 50 Cent. And uh, they picked it up to a series for 10 episodes, and without going into all the details, we were like hiring people, we were having meetings, we were going to do it, I was going to move from L.A. to New York. I rented my house out. I rented my apartment out. God damn it. We, I mean, we were all, we were, we were doing real estate deals. And we and moved, you went to New York, and then so did I, because I had swapped my house for an apartment in New York. And, and three days before I was going to move, I got a call from the production company, and they said, I just got off the phone with the network. They pulled the plug at the 11th plus hour. We, they decided, wait a minute, what are we doing? We don't know how to do comedy. We don't have a black audience. And this doesn't fit with us at all. And this is going to be a nightmare. 
So they, and, and, and in all honesty, my reaction when this, this phone call came in, when I had uprooted my life and, and it was going to cost me a fortune, it was, you know, it was a year's work. It was a very good year's work. And I suddenly wasn't going to have, my, my uh, reaction was incredible relief. <laughs> really? I was so happy. I was so happy. I didn't care. Wow. I, mean, I was I, bummed. I, I, I was bummed later when I thought, well, what am I doing? <laughs> right. But the truth is that I don't think that that was going to be a good show. And, in fact, they did it a year later, this past year, on um, BET, and it was uh, not good. Yeah, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it either. But, I know I saw a few clips, but I had a sense of... I know, knowing the people that produced it, um, they... I knew what kind of show they were going to do, and that was one of the reasons I was dreading working on the show because I was—I knew I was going to be in a creative um, feud the whole time with the production company, and it was going to be challenging. Right, because you do more—you know—you do smart stuff. You do. <laughs> hey, I didn't say that, but yes, I mean, yes. I'm just saying you do smart. Yes. I mean, I don't know what yeah. their creative was because I wasn't there. I never got to be there. But I'm, yeah. I'm assuming it was a little bit, a little bit less. It definitely wasn't going to be Kamau Bell's sensibility or Chris Rock's sensibility. It would be more it of like... It was a little more lowbrow. Yeah. And, I hey, I'm, I like, you know, raunchy. I like lowbrow. I like lowbrow. Yeah. I like raunchy humor. I like a lot of things. But, you know, we just had... We didn't see eye to eye. And so I, there was a storm coming. And then it just suddenly went away. And I was like, oh, you know, my... You know, my back, my backache, and my stomach problems suddenly were a lot better. That's so funny. I just, I, I just, I was flying out the next day when you told me because nobody called and told me, and nobody called oh, and told my lawyer. Yeah, well, that's just an indicative. Yeah. Yeah. And I just was like, yikes! I can't. Wow. All right. Well, I've already sublet my apartment. And I've already uh, rented a place in New York for three months. Like I'm. Merit, because the contract only said three months and then maybe yeah. an extension. So I'm like, well, you know, Chuck might fire me. So I need to just plan mm -hmm. for three months, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah. it, I, I think you might have fired me. Oh, really? Yeah, I do. Why would that have happened? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm making it up. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't see that happening. So tell me about your beginnings. Okay, well, I started as a stand-up comic in... In uh, what city? In Chicago in 1987. Wow. 31 years ago, almost. And I graduated college that year, and I was home in Chicago, and I was trying to, I wanted to be a comedy writer. I didn't necessarily want to be a stand-up. I kind of, but it was also, stand-up wasn't what it, what it is now. Right. There's like so many, st and now there's like. Too many com there's yeah. too many comedians. Well, stand-up now seems like it's a career option like being a dentist or going into the law. It's like, <laughs> it's like how many, you know, like there's so many fucking lawyers and there's so many fucking comedians. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. But back then there were, you know, it wasn't this boom and it was, there was the comedy boom, but it was like for 115 people that right. did it. And I'd always loved comedy and, and, and I wanted, and I wrote like sketch comedy in college and it was performed by actors. And that's what I kind of wanted to imagine myself doing, like writing on SNL or for Letterman or something like that. But I really didn't know how to go about doing that. And somebody that I talked to said, oh, I know a comedian. You should talk to him. So I talked to this guy. His name is Ian Williams. He's still a comedian. He lives in San Francisco. He's a great guy. And he, we had lunch. And he goes, oh, yeah, you should try stand-up because, you know, it's just a great way to get into the whole 
business. And I go, and secretly I kind of wanted to try it, but I didn't know where. And I, any, anytime I saw it, it looked hokey. Mm-hmm. Like it looked like it was like Zanies. Like every place was called Zany. Is like you know now alternative comedy. It's just like oh you can kind of roll in and be a <laughs> yeah be, a, be an individual human being. But back then it just like everyone had a wacky name and a f- stupid facial expression. And, and you had to wear a blazer. A blazer, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I look good in a blazer. Let's <laughs> let's not joke around. But I, but I just, I didn't imagine me. The sleeves rolled up though. That would not. No, I, you yeah. you would leave them down. You wouldn't <laughs> go that casual. Yeah, thank you. So anyway, <laughs> I um, he ba- so he said I'm opening tomorrow night at Zany's for Barry Sobel, who was a huge comedian back then. I loved Barry Sobel. He was great. He was a huge comic in the '80s, and he was at playing Zany's. Now this is an interesting story. So Ian is opening, is the host, and my friend, and um, he said, "Listen, I'll get you in to see me, but then the next night you have to go and do the open mic at the Roxy." And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. The Roxy in Chicago. The Roxy, which was a little folk rock comedy club that was a great little venue that had their own built-in audience. It used to be on Fullerton. It's not there anymore. But anyway, um, I went great. So me and my girlfriend at the time go to see Barry Sobel and my friend Ian open. And so what goes? So Ian goes up there, and he's funny, he's smart, he's political, and... Yeah, and he did okay. He did pretty well. The next guy came on. He was a middle act, and the guy's name was Steve Seagrin. I don't know if you know him. That name sounds really He lives familiar. out here now. He's hilariously funny, and he destroyed. And he, he, he like, fucking annihilated. And he, he's filthy. He's really hilarious. And, you know, just like a classic Chicago comic. And, um, and then Barry Sobel's brought up. And now Barry Sobel, he opened up with that rap song that he used to do about how he's not like Shecky Green, like old comedy. Like it was like a Beastie Boys, Run DMC style rap song about comedy. Uh-huh. And it was, and the audience, this is Zany's in Chicago. It was a super blue collar white club. And um, Barry just was like this, you know, New York Jewish hipster uh, who was not screaming Oprah's too big for my limousine right and all this kind of stuff and these people were like looking at him like what the hell's going on here (laughs) but the amazing thing was he he was literally was bombing like right out of the gate but he was so I I thought he was hilarious and he's such an amazing performer and I just couldn't believe that he was doing so poorly and didn't care and was just doing his shit and it was still funny to me anyway and then eventually you know he's a really good comic so he eventually got them he he got he was killing and then he would then he would go off and do a bit that they couldn't relate to whatsoever <laughs> that's amazing and, it was, and I'm just going I'm watching this guy going he's putting out all his energy and getting nothing back and he doesn't give a shit and he just seemed cool so anyway I walked out of there with my girlfriend and I was like I don't think I can do any of what, what any of those people did <laughs> this is ridiculous I'm not I don't know what I'm going to do with the Roxy but I did it. I threw some jokes together, went up, killed, first time, and um, that was it. And then, then the next week, I went back to the Roxy, same material, bombs away. That and always yeah. happens. The first like, time, you're amazing, and yeah. then after that, you bomb for like a good, well, for me, it was a good two years. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much like that. Yeah. And so I was, and I was in Chicago for a couple of years, and then I moved to Boston. See, I thought you were from Boston originally. Like, I thought that's where you started. I started in Chicago, but I really... Okay, why? Why? 
We're outside at the fancy Starbucks on Hillhurst Avenue, so you might occasionally hear a souped-up supercharger. Yeah, anyway. which is so dumb because you can't drive fast down here. Yeah, there's drag racing is not... It's not a thing. It's not conducive. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I cut my teeth as a comic in Boston at the Catch a Rising Star in Cambridge, which was a great, great club. Did you like living in Boston? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I mean, I always had like three roommates, and it was like your basic comic, comedy hovel, right. various comedy hovels that I lived in for um, four years. And um, the last place I moved out of, I was living with John Benjamin. I love him. And um, I want to get his book. Oh, he has a book. He just wrote a book. I don't know. Called that. called uh, you can you can be a failure or something like you can fail down. It's a, a really funny title, but he was just on. I hate this show. It's called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, but it just happened to be on, and I was uh -huh. switching channels, and he was just talking to the host. Oh. Was about he on yesterday? No, it was last weekend. Okay. It was, but it, I just, anyway, he's so funny. He's very funny. I yeah. mean, he's, he's a hilarious guy. And uh, he and his then-girlfriend and me and someone else were living in a place in Alston. Four people? Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, it was exciting stuff. But anyway, and then I moved to New York to do Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. And that was my first TV job, really. The very first TV job, first writing job I had for TV was a couple years before that. Tom Kenny was the host, was the news anchor on Friday Night Videos on NBC. Remember that show? I, rem I, I vaguely remember it, but I don't remember them it was having the first a news. Place, yeah, well, they had a funny news show, funny oh. music news, and... Well, I don't know that they always had that, but they hired Tom and for one or two seasons, and he did that. And me and Paul Kozlowski wrote his jokes. Wow. So and Paul moved back to Minnesota, right? Paul moved to upstate New York. Oh. <laughs> I know. He looks, yeah. he, it looks like, the, like if the Unabomber had lived, that's what he looks like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just saw a picture that Ron, um, oh, my God. What is wrong with me? Ron Lynch? Yeah, that Ron Lynch put up on Instagram. That was not Paul. Who was that? That was a guy that looked like Paul, but who was like 20 years older. Oh, okay. Something. I thought that was yeah. Paul, and I'm like, wow, he really I looks don't know terrible. Who that I don't know was, what happened. Yeah. I, I saw that, and I was like, no, that's not Paul. <laughs> I, I hope not. I hope that's not Paul. And I saw Ron the other night, and he said, no, it's not. Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, did you go to the, uh, the, the Late Late Show, The Late Show? Tomorrow? Tomorrow show. I did not. Oh, okay. I'm getting everything wrong about Ron, <laughs> and I know him well. It's it is very late. Good. It is late. It's late. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. It's very late. Um, so you lived with those guys. You did, and then so your first writing job was in New York, writing for Friday Night Videos for Tom Kenny. Mm -hmm. And then what happened next? Like, how did you end up being the guy for the Chris Rocks? At, did you come up with him at all? No. Or okay. What happened there was, I worked. I did Bill Maher's show briefly. I did, that was like 93. Then I did the first two seasons of Conan and um, as a writer. And I also did stand-up on the show, and I also played David Copperfield. That's <laughs> hilarious. Do you know Dave Jeskow? Yeah. Do you know that he went to summer camp with David Copperfield? No, I did not know that. Yes, and he would wow. practice his... He, he was a camp counselor at uh -huh. Dave's camp, and he would practice <laughs> magic tricks for oh Dave. Oh, my God. And Dave would be like, I don't know. I guess it's fine. I'm going to go play now. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's crazy. Yeah, he's from New Jersey. Yeah, I think I knew that. He, uh, so, anyway, I did that. And then, then 
shortly thereafter, I I was out here for one year, like in 96, and then I went back to New York to do the, the pilot for the Chris Rock show, and then the, in the subsequent series. And the way that I got that job was somebody, a great woman named Nina Rosenstein at HBO, who I had worked for on Bill's show, because or it was on HBO Downtown Productions. So that's what the, that was all the comedy stuff. Yeah. So HBO Downtown did Bill's show that was on Comedy Central, and they were producing Chris's show. So she got me in touch. She said, "Do you want to?" She called me up one day. I was sitting out in LA unemployed, and she says, "Do you want to do this pilot with Chris Rock?" And I'm like, "Are you kidding? Of course." And um, so. Uh, she she uh, that was a phone call and then like two months went by I didn't hear anything one of those like well, I guess that didn't happen that's not happening and then suddenly I got a call to go meet Chris at the Three Arts office and um, I met him we had like a 10 or 15 minute conversation I don't think he'd ever read me he just I just came recommended by Nina and then also Dave Becky was there and he I knew Dave a little bit but he goes, Chris said to me, you know, I was, I was having lunch with, and I had ran into uh, um, Odenkirk, who he knew from SNL, and I said, hey, I'm meeting this guy, Chuck Sklar. Do you know him? And, and then he said, oh, yeah, Chuck's the best. <laughs> and so that pretty much, you know, I, it helped me I, tremendously. So, you know, you never know when you're going to. You never know. Yeah, what's going to help when you. When somebody's going to say something nice about you. So that was, yeah, <laughs> who knew? But uh, it was nice, and I had, I only knew Bob a little bit because Bob sort of worked on Conan when I worked was there. He was sort of like a member emeritus of the staff who had gone on to do other things already, hmm. even though the show was just starting. <laughs> Interesting. And um, so I owe him a debt, and uh, yeah, and then I just I so we did the pilot, and I had a lot of material in the pilot and a lot of material in the first season of the show. And I was, you know, just had a great run there, really. And got, you know, Chris liked my stuff. What can I say? And it was kind of like it wasn't stuff that was, it wasn't like material that you would associate with a black comedian. But Chris was like, this is really interesting because you have, your humor is dry. And there's no black comedians that do dry humor. And so we have like a new thing. And... It was it was cool. Who's uh, and he's smart like that because he he'll bring in other people other voices that aren't his, and he he creates a third thing, which is you know him doing you. You know what I mean? Like you're you know whoever whatever the writer is, he's he's looking for people that he thinks are funny, and they don't have to be just like him. Right? Who came? Who wrote the bit when keeping it real goes wrong? I don't know. That sounds like a bit that was in season five, and I didn't go back to season five. Oh, okay. I don't. I never heard of that bit. Oh, it's a really good <laughs> bit. It's a really good bit. I, I can imagine any number of people that would might have written that. So, what was his staff like? Was it mostly male, female? Like, what was the breakdown? It was mostly male. Uh, Wanda was there, and she was the one. I think the one female writer. Yeah. And Wanda Sykes, she was great. She was she had never worked on a show, and she was great right from the get go. You know, she's brilliant. 
Yeah, she's hysterical. I mean, absolutely brilliant on air and as a writer. Like, she, that broke her. Her her sketches on that show. She was always my favorite person to watch in New York. Uh-huh. Her and Caroline Ray. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they would destroy at the cellar. Like, oh, sure. Destroy, like, all the male comics would go up and do their thing. <laughs> and then those two women would go up and completely, like, I felt bad for whoever had to follow them because they would just... Oh, like there were no, sure. no one was alive. It was there was blood everywhere. It was just they <laughs> killed. It was yeah. really. I bet. I bet. Yeah. So okay. So after working with Chris, then you you also worked on um, Good Hair. I did. Yeah. With Chris. So what was that? How did that relationship bond into something that went beyond the Chris Rock show? Um. Pretty much. After that. So that was like the last time. The last year I worked on that show was 2000, or maybe 99. But anyway, I, you know, and I was out here, but he was, you know, he would have a project and he would call, like when he did the Oscars, I did the Oscars both times. And, uh, you know, good hair. And also everybody hates Chris. And a couple of other punch-ups on films of his along the way. Nice. So, you know, yeah. What's the pressure like of writing on a live telecast? Like how, like, like when Chris went out and did his monologue, mm-hmm. was there a moment where Chris was like, okay, I feel like the room is feeling like this. Let's change gears on this second joke. Like, what was that like? Mm. Well, that was the uh, case of the Chris Rock show was kind of amazing is that we would do a test show every Thursday and tape the actual show on Friday. I believe Bill Maher still does that, but most shows don't do that. And... This, the Thursday show was amazing because Chris would do like a 25-minute monologue. He would, do the, he would do the jokes that had been written for him, and then he would just riff. He would just riff, and it was really great. Like, yeah, that could have been a show. And then the next night, he would do the monologue, and it would be great. But it would be four and a half minutes of funny jokes. And he... he, he I remember Jeff Stilson and I used to always say... Well, why can't the show have the monologue from Thursday? Because it was just so loose and, and out there. But And the crowd was so like a hometown crowd, like, you know, Brooklyn. Right. Um, it was it was in a... And Grandmaster Flash was the DJ. So the place was like jumping. And then Chris would come out and just do a smoking set. And, and it was... Uh, so... There was never any problem. <laughs> I don't remember any moment where we stopped the monologue and and he redid it or anything like that. Well, I'm talking about, like, for the Oscars, because you wrote for him for oh, the Oscars. Like, yeah. that, like... Oh, live, live, yeah. Yeah, live, live. Live, live. Yeah, like, well, you know, that was, um, you know, the thing about Chris is he's such a professional and he's funny as hell. He shows up, you know, the Oscars are in, like, what, late February, so... He shows up in early to mid-January in L.A. He's already got, he's got 35 or 40 minutes of material that he's doing, that he's trying out for that 7 to 10-minute monologue. So, and then he hires 15 writers. <laughs> does he pay them out of his own pocket or no. does it come show budget? Okay. Show, the show pays. The show pays. It doesn't, it's not a great paying gig, but it's not. Right. It's a great gig, though. Yeah. So. They used. To, I mean, the first time we did it, we got the gift basket. We don't get that anymore. The oh, writers boo, aren't giving. Really? Yeah, right. It's bullshit. Yeah, I think it's whack. <laughs> it's like the people that that don't need it. 
the George Clooney's. Yeah, they the, don't need that yeah. shit. They're not even getting. Oh, gonna, who are they wow. going to give it to? Moisturizer, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, right. Like you could re-gift that to your mom. You know. Yeah. Well, the free, the gift basket when I got it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my what life. What was in it? Um, and gift, what year was it first? And then tell me what was 2005. in it. Two thousand five. Okay, and what was in it? One of the things that was in it was, and I'm not making this up, a really beautiful Gibson electric guitar. Are you fucking kidding me? Like you're looking at this thing, like I think this is like the what Eric Clapton would play. Like this thing's crazy. Like what what what, what, I, what am I doing with this? I, I would have thought it was art, and I'm like, wait, is this a real guitar? Are you sure? Okay. Is this in the wrong basket? Another thing that was in it was a Dyson vacuum. <gasps> <laughs> I would have lost my mind. That was pretty cool. Then there was like several extended night stays at amazing hotels. The Carlisle in New York. Oh, my God. Which was amazing. I stayed there for three nights in this like one-bedroom suite that was like, I felt like a rich person. It was nice. Uh, the, the Gansevoort. Oh, Which I love the Gansevoort. Yeah. That was a, the Rock and Roll Hotel downtown. And then there was a Hawaiian one, and then there was a, there was a couple other ones. It was a Vegas. There was a Bellagio. Wow. Yeah. It was really fun. I, I, I used several of them. See, I would think in a gift basket it would just be like facial care, hair care products. I mean, it's the Oscars, but it's maybe that's like. Not, there was like a, I had the champagne, champagne of the Month Club. I had a bottle of champagne sent to my house once a month for a year. Holy shit. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was like, what is this? Like, did people think you were weird when you were constantly going, does anybody want any champagne? Can we get rid well, of this? Well, I'm like, I did have a refrigerator full of champagne because how often do you really drink champagne? Never. But, yeah. I have a bottle of champagne in my fridge. I, I think it's been there for about three years. Uh-huh. I don't drink champagne. It gives me a headache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I drink hard you should try, liquor. You should try good champagne. <laughs> I've had Verve Clique Clove. Oh, okay. <laughs> that Verve Clique Clove. I don't even okay, know how to say yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, well, it gives me a headache. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep, there's another uh, person. Uh, anyway, so, okay. These so kids with their hot rods. With their hot their, rods. And their long hair. Well, you won't be able to hear it that much <laughs> in the background. Um, so, so, then you became the Chris Rock guy, sort of. You worked on all those projects with Chris. Mm-hmm. Are you guys friends outside of the professional no we do not care for each other oh yeah that's what i thought yeah no you know um i mean you're both you yeah know. we're friends yeah. We're, we we are friends we talk about whatever life gossip what was what was it like starting up a kamau show uh great i mean uh that was an amazing experience until it wasn't it was like you know we i was surprised when it got canceled yeah it was a uh, it was a sad day it was a really good show. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, the show was, uh, we started out, I met Kamal like three years before we were on the air. I, and I was like, you're amazing. We're, you're going to have a show. This is, uh, I saw his one man show. And I had been invited by Comedy Central to watch his one man show. Me and a bunch of other like, writer, producer sorts. And I, I was like, he let's do I called up you know my person at Comedy Central and I was like let's have a meeting I mean I think he's great so I went in to meet about Kamau and then and they said well you know but the problem is nobody knows who he is and I was like what are you talking about put him on your stupid channel and everybody will know who he is that's what I don't understand when networks go well nobody knows who they are plus you you put him on they're gonna know who they are plus they called me 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Then why did you ask me to look at why, him? Why just me? I go, you know what? Fuck you. Don't worry about it. I'll so I'll take it out and sell it somewhere else. So I called Kamal, and then we 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 talked to a few people, like at at HBO, and people were enthusiastic. But he we kind of ran into that thing of like he's a little unknown. He's a little green. And I said we need to attach somebody. So I told Chris about him. Chris watched him online and went, yeah, he's funny. He's really good. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I said, well, you know, think about it. So a year goes by, and Chris calls me, and he goes, I just saw Kamau's one-man show at Fringe Fest in New York. You're right. He's awesome. You really got a good eye. Let's, let's figure this out. So from there, long story short, we, we did a pilot. We produced a pilot. We actually did two. We did, like, a little presentation that we shot up in San Francisco in a black box theater. And it was not that well made. It was not that well done. It was did just, you do it? So you did it independently? Yeah. Okay. We just did it. But Chris, but Chris had said, listen, I'll, I'll like foot the cost of shoot putting together something. Mm-hmm. So he was paying for it. And, but we didn't, we just, just, we just did a very low budge looking thing. So like the cam- you know what the whole thing would have been fine if the cameras were on tripods but it was like handheld cameras why didn't you i wish i had known you i don't know i i don't know basically i was a, not in my on my home turf <laughs> yeah so i got up i i was working i got up there and it was like well these are the camera guys so i'm like okay great and i'm like they don't have why tripods why does nobody have sticks like yeah. what's going on so it was weird yeah but you know it didn't matter because then we did a much better pilot about 3 months later Three or four months later, we shot it in Santa Monica at the promenade, at the Third Street Promenade. Third Street Promenade, yeah. whatever that little theater is called. Oh, oh, <clears throat> okay, yes. That little, um, where they have comedy. Yes. Sometimes. Uh, not the, the West one, Side Comedy? Not West Side the Comedy one, Theater? That's the one in the alley, right? Yeah. No, it's not that one. It's on the promenade, and it's called... And the they do comedy? Third Street Playhouse or something. Oh, Third... I, I didn't yeah. know they did comedy. Yeah, so, anyway... And they have more like improv shows than they do of stand-up. But it was a good place to shoot, and I got a producer to help us make it, and we had a great uh, little production. And uh, basically then, you know, I, I cut it here, and Chris came out after New Year's of that. The, it was like 2012, I guess. And he basically spent two days walking it around town to different places, and FX, FX wanted to buy it before the meeting. They like saw it and they were like, oh, this is great. And Chris was attached. Let's do it. So that was it. Wow. We did that. And that was one of the most exciting things that ever happened. <laughs> so why did you guys choose to shoot in, uh, have production in New York versus L.A.? Um, that was Chris's, not insistence, but he's like, he's like, I really want to be, I want to be there. I don't, I don't want, I feel like I won't be able he had had some experience with Everybody Hates Chris, which, is, of course, was done out here. And he, if he didn't like how something was going, he just felt like he couldn't wrangle it. But he felt like he could wrangle it in New York versus L.A. Yeah. The truth is that he couldn't do either. Because if you're not <laughs> going to be somewhere every day, then you're not really running it. Right, you know? right. So, anyway. What lot did you guys shoot Everybody Hates Chris on? Fox? Paramount. Paramount lot? Yeah. Ugh great commute for me <laughs> i love that lot yeah i mean i don't love that lot but no, i love I, the I, you feel proximity like you're in, to my home also when you drive on paramount lot you really feel like you're in show business 
That's yeah. true. But I also feel like even though it's in, it's right near Larchmont Village, and there's places when I'm on that lot for some reason I feel trapped. Whereas, mm -hmm. like, on the Fox lot, there's nothing around you, but they have so many different little restaurants and stuff on the lot yeah. that you feel like, oh, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to oh, be all okay. right. That's just my own Michigas, I think. Yeah, but it's far. That's west side. It's far. I'm an it's east sider. I used to ride my bike to the Fox lot. Wow. Because it was uh, faster for me to get to work and home on a bicycle than in my car. Oh, my God. That's pathetic. Yeah. The traffic. The traffic is a nightmare. Ugh. And all these guys that worked at Fox Sports would ride their bikes, too. So we mm. all became buddies because oh. we were like, oh, you ride your bike? I ride my bike. Oh. And it just and then one day one of the guys came like one one came up one morning and mm. he had a cast on. He And he went. I'm like, you went down. He goes, I went down. But as <laughs> soon as his leg healed, he was back on his bicycle and they rode in from Burbank. Wow. Crazy. That's nuts. So now uh, I want to ask you, I want to go back. Can we go back to Bill Maher? Yeah, yeah. Because I just went to a taping of Real Time. Yeah. I loved it. It was mm -hmm. live. It was happening at that moment on HBO. Pretty amazing. Uh, really amazing. But one thing that I thought was interesting, like I didn't, I was really excited to see his monologue because mm -hmm. I love his monologue, but it was so, it was so perfect I, I i'm it was so uh i don't want to say it, it it felt it didn't feel rehearsed it felt like he was in the moment but it was very very there was there were moments where i was like oh he's rehearsed this quite a few times like mm -hmm. there were moments where i was like i feel like he's in it and then i feel like he's not but if something came up or somebody yelled something he was right there mm -hmm. i mean he's very quick well he's super experienced yeah and he's his delivery is crisp it was so crazy to see him do that because I was so I was, it was brilliant. It was great. Mm -hmm. It was great. Yeah, he's a great comic. There's no yeah. question about it. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I just I didn't know what to expect, and I was just like, wow, that's that's what years and years and years of doing something makes you. The first joke that I ever had told by somebody that bought, that I was writing for was by him. That I remember. I mean, I guess Tom Kenny wrote, but it was not the same because there wasn't a live, live audience. So he did a joke of mine about how there's a new... He, we used to do, like, there would be a joke about... Well, tonight we're going to be talking about blank. And then there'd be a joke. So you want to have a joke about each topic. So the, one of the topics was, this is, mind you, 1993. So there was a lot of new westerns out. They were doing westerns again, like, that year. Like, okay, like... Uh, Didn't they do Wild what? Wild West with Will Smith then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, like, like Earp and... I don't even remember. There was a bunch. There's a slew of them. So he goes, we're going to be talking about there's, they're doing westerns again. It's exciting. But, you know, uh, I think they're doing a remake of um, uh, what's the name? Oh, I'm, uh, they're doing a remake of High Noon. Uh, but I think it must have a yuppie screenwriter must have got a hold of it because it's called 1130 ish. <laughs> anyway, so and it just killed. So I was just like, wow, that feels good. <laughs> So what's next? What do you you just got done working on uh, that show at Entertainment One? Yeah, the Hollywood is, the Hollywood Puppet Show, which is for Fuse. The Fuse Channel. It what was we, formerly known as the Hollywood Puppet Shit Show, but they somebody cool some somebody wisely thought, why are we having an, our a show with the word shit in it, even if it's a joke? So they just now it's now called the Hollywood Puppet Show, with Wilmer Valderrama. As a mari a marionette of Wilmer, hosting it. So, and then who are the guests on that show? Well, there's all sorts of people that do because it's a story show. People come on to tell a story, and then it's 
animated, or I should say acted out by um, marionettes. So you'll have like Marlon Wayans or Lil Rel or Lil John, a lot of small people. Yeah, I, 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 Lil John, when I worked at Entertainment One when they were doing the previous season, Lil John was there uh-huh. doing yeah. his sit down. Mm-hmm. And who else? They were a couple of famous people, and I just got so excited. Yeah. I mean, some of these celebrities that are on the show, I'm like, I, I'd never heard of them, but it's big for their demographic. Or there's some of them are these, like, influencers. Oh, yeah. And they, uh, as we know, they, they're they not in entertainment. They're just, you know, they look good. Yeah. So they're like, one of the, one of them is a, one of the people that they have this season is is a ring ring girl for MMA fighting who has, like, a million bajillion followers so you can imagine that she's a great storyteller oh i bet she's brilliant <laughs> she can she can count i mean she can count we were just talking about this uh with a development sec that was leading this workshop that i went to yesterday mm-hmm. and that they no longer they don't care if you have instagram followers because they know that it doesn't translate into viewers thank you i'm glad somebody said that yeah so that trend is going bye-bye good yeah thank god because those people can't speak yeah i mean i suppose it's th- in theory one of them eventually will but what would have happened if you had come up during this time of crazy, like intense social media? Everyone has to have a social media presence. Do you think that you would have hopped on board with that? How do you think that might have changed the trajectory of your career? Um, it's tough to say because, like, I don't. I'm not big on Twitter. I don't do. I don't. I have a Twitter, but I don't do it. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not modern. <laughs> um. But I could see doing it because it seems like it's just part of it. Like of being a young comic, you tweet. You try to get followers. You try to get other f- comics following you and retweeting you and all that kind of shit. I could see it just like you were ch- trying to get an open mic, trying to get booked, trying to you know tour, whatever, trying to get an agent. It just seems like one of the other. At least it's sort of like it's writing. Also, I was pretty writerly as a comedian. People would always, I used to be introduced as this next guy coming to the stage is a great writer. <laughs> Thanks. And a horrible performer. <laughs> but, um, you know, so really, I probably, if I was, you know, 28, you know, I would probably be, I'd take to it, you know, like a duck to water. I don't know. You know, I could imagine. Right. But I, my first my first attitude of course when Twitter started like 10 years ago was like I'm not giving away I'm not giving it away for free that's ridiculous. But now I s- Well people did steal jokes all the time on Twitter. Mhm. I mean cuz uh, friends of mine that would write jokes and then they would get retweeted by someone else or they would copy it and yeah. then they'd get outed for just the, like the fat the, Jewish. The fat Jew. The fat Jewish. Yeah. The fat Jewish was <laughs> is on the puppet show. Oh, fuck. Because Why? Of, I don't know because he's a Social media superstar. How is he still a social media superstar? I hate him. Yeah, he's um, he's a bit loathsome. I'm sure that the producers of the puppet show can't wait to hear me say that. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. gross. Who was yeah. the most fun to uh, have tell a story on that show? Cameron was great. The rapper Ooh, Cameron. I love Cameron. He's great. I just saw him on Guy Branum's show. Oh, on the, uh, the game show. Yeah, the talk game show, show, the talk show, or whatever it is, talk show, the game show, and um. He was funny on that, but he was really great on our show. Marlon Wayans was great. Um, young M.A., who's a young female rapper, uh-huh. was great. Uh, Nick Cannon was excellent. Oh, I love yeah. Nick Cannon. Yeah. He's funny. Very funny. 
Very funny. Uh, who else was exceptionally good? Let me think a second. That's it. That's the only ones I liked. All right. <laughs> How many people were on it? They were probably like eight storytellers. Oh, oh for the whole season, more the than that. The whole series, yeah. there's 20, because yeah. there's two per episode. Yeah. But there's like, there's at least 14 good good, stir- good stories. Right. Because we rewrote them. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Kevin Kataoka and Ned Goldreyer. I love Kevin Kataoka. Yeah. I have to have him on the show. You should. Well, he and I karaoke. That's right. Yeah. And, and and his girlfriend, and we like to go to, you know, they like to go to Brooklyn Bowl, though, and it makes, not Brooklyn Bowl, uh, Highland Park Bowl. Uh-huh. And it's too far for a Sunday night. I keep telling them, let's go to Barney's Beanery in West Hollywood, because sometimes the Beebs is there. Mm-hmm. And he never tries to sing. He never overshot. He just sits there quietly at the bar and watches people karaoke. Justin Bieber? Yeah. That's weird. And my friend, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> and my friend Melissa is the is Melissa McQueen is the host. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm like, she'll you know she'll rig it for us so we can sing more than one number. Where's the Hollywood Bowl Bowlerama? Is that on um, Figueroa or something? Yeah. 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 It's too far. Yeah, it's it's close and yet somehow it's far. Well, I mean, if I'm gonna have a cocktail, I'm gonna Uber. That's or you know, I I lift. I don't Uber. I lift. But I would take a lift there to Highland Park, and it just would be forever. Like it just would be it would be a seventy dollar night. Yeah. After like two or three cocktails, the drive there and the drive back, like I can't. That's yeah. too much. It's too much. Right. And then Sunday nights at the um, the drawing room. Oh. You live right around here, I right? Li- I live right by the drawing room. Okay. They have a great Sunday night karaoke. That's where all the um, roadies and the uh, back backup singers on for concerts, like, you'll watch people blow the roof off the joint. Really? Wow. Like real singers. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Every so Sunday tonight? Night? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds more fun. It's really fun. Yeah. It's really fun. Okay. So you'll have to go. I'll check it out sometime. Do you have any pets? No. I don't have a pet. I love dogs, though. Yeah. Do you have a dog? Yeah. I have an old blind, uh, almost blind dog uh-huh. that I just adopted from the pound. He's really cute. His name's Stanley. Oh. Yeah, he's real cute. I was going to bring him, but he's... How old is he? I think he's around 10. The pound says he's around 10. And the, the vet was like, that's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. So I'll have him for a good six years. He's small, so I'm like, yeah, I'll have a good six years. I just, I, I don't want to adopt puppies. I want to have is old... Is he mellow? Very. Okay. Very That's mellow. Good. He has separation anxiety. That's his only mm-hmm. bad thing. But other than that. But you're not, you're not there for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not there for that, so I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so what's yeah. next after this show? What's next? Well, I'm making a film, and it's called Caught Stealing. And I'm trying to make a movie. That's my, that's my latest thing. I wrote this a couple of years ago, and I've been trying to get amass my team and then make it happen. Who's, do you have talent attached yet? I don't have talent attached. I did a read-through last summer, and I had Chris Redd read the lead. You know, Chris Redd. Yes. And then and, and Andy Kindler read the other lead, because it's about a young black guy and an old Jewish bookie in Detroit in 1968 during the World Series. That sounds fabulous. It's fun. Chris Redd's character, if it was Chris Redd, it's a, it's a guy who... Who uh, is a young black guy, and he's in Detroit, and he steal, he uh, sells burglar alarms door to door, but first he steals your TV, and then he shows up the next day selling alarms. 
throwing in as a premium a brand new TV that he's actually stolen from somebody else. And the somebody else in this case is an old Jewish bookie, the last white guy living in the neighborhood, because all the white people moved to the suburbs after the riots of 67 and 68. And uh, this bookie has got his own scam going, because he's told his overboss, the local mafia, all my betters, all my Jewish gamblers moved away. I'm stuck here with the blacks. I've got nothing. They, don't, they won't bet with me. And he's, so he's pleading poverty. But meanwhile, he's driving out to the suburbs and doing business with all of his old gamblers and hoarding the money and hiding it where inside of his television, which is then promptly stolen by the first guy. And that guy, Ronnie, the young black guy, takes that television full of money and gives it to a young black, fa a black family that had relocated from the south recently because the father got a job at the Chrysler plant. And he has pulled his scam on them. He stole their TV, sold them a burglar alarm. He gives them the TV full of money. But he meets their daughter, who's like a beautiful young black college student, and he immediately falls in love and decides to go straight to be worthy of this great girl who's everything he isn't. She's like, you know, not only is she beautiful, but she's like, you know, going to college and just thinks she's like a child of the 60s. She's convinced the world can be a better place, and he's like mired in his criminal, his bad upbringing and criminal experiences. And then he sees that there's another way to be and so he just but he but that's not going to be easy because the bookie figures out who robbed him and the mob figures out that the bookie's holding out of them so everybody's after this television and that's the movie and it's all set during the week of the world series that's brilliant it's i love good. that it's pretty good well i hope you get it made <laughs> thanks um where can people find you i know you don't tweet or anything but um i am on instagram <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's my handle on Instagram? Do I even know? Do you know? Sklarface1. Oh. Sklarface, like Scarface, but not my name. Sklarface1. And on Twitter, I think it's... I don't even know my Twitter handles. That it's, I think it's at Chuck under slash Sklar. Are you one of the few people that doesn't check Twitter for news constantly? That's no, all no. I do. I uh, check it constantly. Really? I'm once in a while. I get a lot of up. Let me, let me make sure. Let me look at what my Twitter handle is. See, it doesn't even. It's not even It's loaded. never been turned on. I know. I, my <laughs> Here we go. That's it. Yeah, it's Chuck under slash Sklar. I'm going to follow you. Yeah, please. I don't do. think I'm following you. I know I'm following you on I Instagram. I don't. Yeah, we're on Instagram. Yeah. I took Instagram off my phone and Facebook this week because I'm like, I just look at it too much. It's like really? a, it's completely, men it's mental masturbation. Yeah. I don't need it. I need to do something with my life. It's like a waste of. Because you've done nothing with your life, Chuck. Well, but I can't stop now. Right. <laughs> I've done things with my life, but I'm telling you, there's a lot, you know how it is. Everybody yeah. wastes time. On Instagram. Yeah. And then also like. Your, I think it fries your brain or your neck hurts or something. You're just looking at the phone. You're like, it's like. I do get that, like, in my upper back. If I'm too much this, yeah. it's, it makes me. Yeah. It's not natural. No, it's yeah. not normal. Cl clearly, it's not yeah. natural. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. But, um, but it's, we're, it's, our, it's our existence. I know. I know. It's but awful. I'm off it. I'm off it now. You're off it now. Good so, for you. I don't know. It's like, yes, I find out about many things on Facebook. I, I still, I'm still on Facebook on my laptop, but I don't have it on my phone. Yeah, a lot of people took it off their phones. Yeah. Yeah, I had it, took it off my phone for a while, and then I put it back on. Yeah, but I still had Messenger. <laughs> but now I got rid of that. 
Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I still have Messenger, too. Soon I'll be talking to nobody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll be so happy. Yeah, I'll be get a dog and just relax. <laughs> well, thanks for doing my podcast. Of course. It was fun. 